The members of the church here, and many friends as well, have learned of the death and homegoing of Sentali Karunia this past Thursday, August 10th. She was a member of Trinity Baptist Church for almost 55 years. After some discussions between Pastor Chansky and myself, we judged it would be good to devote an adult Bible class to address some of the Bible's teachings, certainly not all of them, but some of them regarding important matters surrounding death, and in particular, the death of a Christian. And we understand that these biblical truths are basic truths to many of you, but it is good for us to be reminded of them. I need you to make sure you have your Bibles ready, whether a paper version or electronic version. We will be turning to many passages, and I do want you to turn to the majority of them with me. And I realize I will probably be going at a more rapid pace. Maybe not. We'll see. But there are many passages we need to examine. So first of all, death is the consequence of sin. Again, this is a basic truth. But had there been no sin in the earth, in human beings, there would be no death and there would be no funeral services. But death is an intruding reality and enemy because of man's sin. So turn, first of all, to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. And Jehovah God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. So God made it abundantly plain to Adam what he was to do and what he was not to do here on this earth. Disobedience to God's commands is sin, and the consequence of such sin, as Genesis 2 tells us, is death. Sentali was not, of course, in the Garden of Eden, but the Bible also clearly teaches that every human being descending from Adam by ordinary generation, so Jesus Christ is the exception, every human being descending from Adam by ordinary generation sinned in Adam and fell with Adam in his first transgression. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death passed unto all men, for that all sinned. And now turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 21. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All in union with Adam die. All in union with Jesus Christ shall be made alive. So we see here this reality that sin is 
something we all are a part of. We are all sinners. We are in Adam, here I quote Charles Hodge, because he was our head and representative, and because we partake of his nature. Adam, therefore, is the cause of death, because his sin is the judicial ground of our condemnation, and because we derive from him a corrupt and enfeebled nature. And there I end that quote of Hodge from 1 Corinthians 15. Turn to Romans 6 and verse 23. Again, as I said at the outset, we'll be turning to many scriptures and probably going a little faster than normal. Romans 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Every sinner, not only because of his union with Adam, our father and representative of the human race, but because of his own sins, earns death. Sentali, along with every Christian who dies, was not exempt from death because of the reality of her union with Adam and because of her own personal sin and guilt. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as the Apostle Paul declared in Romans 3.23. The Bible teaches that there will be Christians who will not experience death, as Santali has. Such Christians will be those who are alive at the second coming and return of Christ. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. <clears throat> For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we that are alive, that are left, shall together with them be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." So the Bible does teach that there will be some Christians who do not experience death. And in the Old Covenant, there were two individual believers who did not experience death. Enoch, referred to in Genesis 5.24, and Elijah, 2 Kings 2.11. But besides these two exceptions, and those believers who are alive at the return of Christ, all Christians will experience this reality of death. Death is the enemy of Christians, but it is an enemy which has been conquered by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must never forget that. So we see from these passages, death is the consequence of sin. But secondly, at death, sinners enter into either heaven or hell. At death, sinners enter into either heaven or hell. First of all, at death, the unbelieving and impenitent sinner enters into hell, a place of everlasting punishment. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Matthew 10, verse 28. The Lord Jesus is speaking on this occasion, and he said, and be not afraid of them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. 
but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The Lord was clearly referring to God himself. Turn now to Matthew 25 and verse 41. Matthew 25 and verse 41. Jesus again is speaking on this occasion. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, referring to the day of judgment, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did not give me to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in, naked and you clothed me not, sick and in prison, and you visited me not, then shall they also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto you? Then shall he answer them, saying, Truly I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not unto one of these least, you did it not unto me, and these shall go away into eternal punishment. I want you to see those words, eternal punishment. The word destruction is used at times, and you should never think of that as annihilation. When you look at all of the Bible's teachings regarding hell, it's clear that those who enter hell, they're not annihilated into nothingness. There is eternal punishment. Hell is a real place where the impenitent continue to be impenitent, for hell is not a place where sinners repent. Hell is not a place where sinners reform themselves. Hell is not a place where their sins are purged from them through suffering. They continue in their impenitence. Sinners in hell are not, however, unbelieving any longer. They are very much aware of who God is, who Christ is. They are very much aware of that. Like the demons, as James states in James 2.19, where James wrote, you believe that God is one, you do well, the demons also believe and shudder. You see, sinners in a hell are now believing. They're not believers but they are very conscious of the realities that they shunned, rejected while they were here on earth, and they are still impenitent. Pastor Ted Donnelly declared in his messages regarding hell, supporting all that he said with scriptures, he said that hell is a place of absolute poverty. Hell is a place of agonizing pain. Hell is a place of with an angry presence. Hell is a place with an appalling prospect. And when he preached those messages, he said God was gracious that those headings all were A, P, words that begin with A and P, to help us remember absolute poverty, agonizing pain, an angry presence, and an appalling prospect. Sobering realities. Such biblical truths are intended by God to prompt each one of us to turn from our own sins and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for pardon, 
cleansing, deliverance, and eternal life. And so those words this very morning hopefully will do that for the believer in Christ, but also for any who are here who are not yet believing in Jesus Christ. But now, secondly, at death, the believing and penitent sinner enters into heaven, a place of everlasting life and bliss. Christians die because Christians are sinners, but they are redeemed sinners. And thanks be to God that death is not the beginning of endless torment for the genuine Christian. No, not at all. It is the beginning of everlasting life and bliss. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 6, verse 23, which I have previously quoted in part. For the wages of sin is death. But Paul continues with these words, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Centali, as with every Christian who has already died. And for those brethren here who can think of loved ones who have died, gone into glory in heaven now, your loved ones that have departed from this earth, you should remember this. As with Centali, they are now experiencing eternal life in the kingdom which was prepared for them and for every believer from the foundation of the, wor the world. And on the day of judgment, every Christian will be exonerated, vindicated before the entire moral universe and shall hear the words of their king, the Lord Jesus Christ, as recorded in Matthew 25. So please turn to Matthew 25 and verse 34. Matthew 25 and verse 34. The Lord Jesus is speaking. He's speaking of that day of judgment. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you or thirst and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and took you in or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison, and came unto you. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Truly I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it unto one of these my brethren, even these least, you did it unto me. Let me pause there, stop there. Sentali was a Christian who befriended numerous people through the years and continually prayed for both sinners and saints. She was not usually able to go to prisons or even go to hospitals to visit those who were sick due to her own circumstances. But anyone who knew her knew 
that she had lists of people she prayed for regularly. So in that way, you see, she was visiting the sick. She was visiting those in prison. She was praying for them. She had lists of people who are unconverted that she continually prayed for. I know that not because she boasted of it, but when I realized it, I would ask her some questions and I learned of some of the people that she prayed for. She prayed for people who were converted as well. She prayed for all sorts of folks, not just here at Trinity Baptist Church, but far and wide. You see, she befriended numerous people through the years, continually prayed for sinners and saints, and as she did so, she was serving her king. She also clearly understood while she lived on earth, and now perfectly understands in heaven, that her entrance into heaven was not based upon her works or her righteousness or her prayers or her giving or any such thing, but solely based upon the righteousness and sacrificial blood of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And this is plainly de declared in Titus 3. Turn there now in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love toward man appeared, not by works done in righteousness which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And there we stop our reading. So Sentali understood these truths. Every believer understands these truths. It's not because of our works that we are forgiven and accepted, but every genuine Christian will indeed bring forth fruit in his or her life and indeed do works of righteousness, which will be declared in the day of judgment. But it is not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to God's mercy that anyone is saved. It is being justified by his grace. And Santali understood that. At death, the Christian's entrance into heaven is due exclusively to the sovereign, gracious, electing love of God. It is due to the propitiatory and bloody death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is due to the regenerating and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And this is clearly taught in the scriptures. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blemish before him in love, having predestined us unto adoption as sons through Jesus Christ unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. There you see the activity of God the Father, especially in the salvation of sinners. Turn now to Romans 3. We've already read a portion of this, Romans 3 and verse 23. Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. There we see the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the salvation of sinners. Turn now to John 3 and verse 5. John 3 and verse 5. Jesus answered, speaking to Nicodemus on this occasion, Jesus answered, John 3, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except one be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So there we see the work of God the Holy Spirit in the salvation of men. And Titus 3.5, which we read a few moments ago, also reveals and emphasizes the absolute necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in the salvation of sinners. Because we read, not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So Christians understand, and Santali now perfectly understands, I don't mean comprehensively, but perfectly understands, she understands that she is experiencing everlasting life and bliss because of the gracious sovereign, almighty work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of the difficulties, trials, sufferings, cancer, and warring with temptations and sin through which Sentali persevered are now behind her. How absolutely true are the words of Romans chapter 8, Turn there in your Bibles to this very familiar passage, a vital passage, Romans 8, beginning at verse 28. We know that to them that love God, all things work together for good. Why did Sentali or why did any other loved one who is now in glory by the grace of God... Why did they experience what they experienced on this earth? Sufferings, tragic deaths, the unexpected trial, whatever it was, why? Romans 8, 28, we know that to them that love God, all things work together for good, even to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
and whom he predestined, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. When any person first believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, these truths here in Romans 8 should be proclaimed to that believing sinner. You will indeed one day be glorified. Ultimate glorification awaits the return of Christ with the resurrection of the bodies of the believers. But every believer, when they die, they indeed enter into glory. And Romans 8, 28 through 30 should be remembered by all of us, especially when one of our beloved fellow Christians, male or female, young or old, dies and enters into glory. But now thirdly, the experience of believers at their death. The experience of believers at their death. First of all, at their death, believers are instantly purged of all their remaining sins and made perfectly holy in their souls. Hebrews chapter 12, please turn there. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 18. At their death, believers are instantly purged of all their remaining sins and made perfectly holy in their souls. Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you are not come unto a mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, and unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that no word more should be spoken unto them. For they could not endure that which was enjoined, if even a beast touch the mountain, referring to Mount Sinai, it shall be stoned. And so fearful was the appearance that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But, but, you are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable hosts of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. When a believer dies, they are instantly in their soul made righteous perfectly, perfectly holy. All remaining sins have been purged out of their souls. They are just men made perfect. But secondly, at their death, believers are instantly in heaven in the presence of their Savior. Turn to Luke 23 and verse 42. Luke 23 and verse 42. The thief on the cross, who on the cross repented, trusted in Christ. Verse 42 of Luke 23. And he said, the thief said, the believing thief, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said unto him, 
Truly I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. At their death, believers are instantly in heaven in the presence of their Savior. That's what Jesus declared there to this believing thief on the cross. Today you shall be with me in paradise. But thirdly, in heaven, believers see their Lord and Savior face to face. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. In heaven, believers see their Lord and Savior face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know fully, even as also I was fully known. So Paul is speaking of the future. Today on this earth, as we look at realities, there are times when it's like looking in a mirror that is not a clear mirror. Things seem a little hazy, fuzzy. But then in glory, we shall see face to face. We shall know fully, even as we are already fully known. But turn now to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. Beloved, now are we children of God, and it is not yet made manifest what we shall be. We know this, if he shall be manifested, we shall be like him, for we shall see him even as he is. We know that if he shall be manifested, that if is not an if, well, maybe it will happen, maybe it will not happen. It's speaking of something that has not yet happened. When he shall be manifested, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him even as he is. How a soul without the body sees, we do not know. But the Bible clearly speaks along these very lines. Turn to Revelation 22 and verse 1. Revelation 22 and verse 1. And he showed me a river of water of life, bright as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street thereof. And on this side of the river and on that was the tree of life, bearing twelve manner of fruits, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no curse any more. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be therein, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. What a wonderful reality. Many believers prior to dying, but knowing that they are dying, will speak along these lines, I long to see the face of my Savior. And indeed, believers dying in the Lord they are in heaven instantly in the presence of their Savior, and they see him face to face. Again, how exactly? We do not know, but that's what the Bible teaches. But fourthly, in heaven, believers are instantly delivered from
from all of the effects and consequences of sin. Turn to Revelation 21 and verse 3. Believers are instantly delivered from all of the effects and consequences of sin. Revelation 21, 3. And I heard a great voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his peoples. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. The first things are passed away. All of the effects and consequences of sin are gone forevermore. But fifthly, in heaven, believers are rejoicing with joy unspeakable. Turn to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Revelation 7 and verse 9. After these things I saw, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number, out of every nation, and of all tribes, and peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, arrayed in white robes and palms in their hands, and they cry with a great voice, saying, Salvation unto our God, who sits on the throne, and unto the Lamb. Now, I'm sure you can use your sanctified imagination, and you can realize that these folks from every tribe, people's tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, they did not say these words, Salvation unto our God, who sits on the throne, and unto the Lamb. Their hearts were bursting, if I can use that phrase. Their hearts were bursting with joy unspeakable at the realities that they are experiencing without the reality of sin, without the reality of death. Salvation unto our God, who sits on the throne, and unto the Lamb. But turn to Revelation 19 and verse 6. Revelation 19 and verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunders, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be exceeding glad, and let us give the glory unto him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. You see, here are the redeemed in glory, singing hallelujah, saying hallelujah unto the Lord our God, the Almighty, who reigns. Let us rejoice, be not glad, but exceeding glad, and give glory unto him. And so, in heaven, believers are rejoicing with joy unspeakable. But sixthly, in heaven, every believer is awaiting the final consummation of all things. 
Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. In heaven, every believer is awaiting the final consummation of all things. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We all shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So when Paul used the pronoun we in this passage, behold, I tell you a mystery, we all shall not sleep. To whom was he referring? He was writing to the Christians in the church in Corinth, Greece. The we was not everyone and anyone. The we referred specifically to the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word sleep the sleep that Paul refers to in this passage is not so-called soul sleep. That's a false teaching. No, sleep refers to the death of the believer when the soul departs from the body, instantly glorified in heaven, and the body itself of that believer is laid in the grave. Our word cemetery actually means a sleeping place. The body of a believer is, as it were, sleeping in the earth, awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Christ returns at the sound of the trumpet, the bodies of every believer will be raised to a changed state. It has decayed in the earth, or if the body was thrown into the sea because the person died as a believer on a ship out in the ocean, whatever the case may be, when Christ returns at the sound of the trumpet, the bodies of believers will be raised to a changed state of incorruption and be reunited to their already glorified, sinless, perfect souls. This is the Christian's great and final hope, when there will be the creation of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness alone dwells, and we shall be body-soul entities forever with the Lord and with all of his people through all of the ages. But seventh, in the consummation of the ages, in the new heaven and new earth, Every glorified Christian will experience and enjoy the absolute riches of God freely bestowed forever. Now that begins when the soul departs and goes into heaven. I'm not denying that. 
but especially at the consummation of the ages, in the day of resurrection, every single glorified Christian will experience and enjoy the absolute riches of God freely bestowed forever. Every believer in heaven will also experience and enjoy the overflowing, pure pleasures of sinlessness, holiness, and love with all of the redeemed forever. And they will experience the loving presence of the triune God in unbroken, ever-enriching, and loving communion forever. And the wonderful prospect that life in heaven will never fade, will never diminish, will never end. Do you see, dear Christian, when you think upon these realities that are experienced at least by the souls in glory now, they don't have their resurrected bodies yet, and that is your prospect, how that changes your perspective concerning the here and now. It changes the way you live, changes the way you work, it changes the way you relate to your spouse, changes the way you relate to your children. It changes the way you relate to material things and money. It changes the way you relate to your brethren in the church. It changes your heart and your relationship to your Savior. It increases and deepens your love for Jesus Christ, for God the Father, for God the Holy Spirit. So by way of review... Death is the consequence of sin. At death, sinners enter into either heaven or hell. The experience, thirdly, of believers at their death are at least these seven things that I have outlined for you. But now, fourthly, the death of a believer is a fresh and urgent summons to everyone. The death of a believer is a fresh and urgent summons to everyone. First of all, the death of a believer is a fresh and urgent summons to every Christian. To do what? First of all, to war against your remaining sin. Turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. First John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we children of God, and it is not yet made manifest what we shall be. We know that if he shall be manifested, we shall be like him, for we shall see him even as he is. And everyone that has this hope set on him purifies himself even as he is pure. You see what John did there. You think about the future. You think about heaven and glory. Everyone that has this hope set on him, the Lord, 
purifies himself now here on earth. He mortifies or she mortifies remaining sin and corruption. You strengthen your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You ask the Lord to help you to live a pure life with a pure heart and a pure mind. And the more you do that, which of course includes confessing the sins that you do commit, confess them to God. When you need to, you confess them to someone else when you've sinned against that person. The more you do that, you see, the more you will long to be in heaven. But you must war against remaining sin. So the death of a believer is a fresh and urgent summons to every Christian to war against his remaining sin, but secondly, to persevere in the faith. Turn to Mark 13 and verse 12. Mark 13 and verse 12. And brother shall deliver up brother to death, and the father his child. And children shall rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated by all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. So the death of a believer is a fresh and urgent summons to every Christian to persevere in your faith in Christ. Because indeed, there will be difficulties in your life. There will be difficulties for the Christian churches. We see that in our society. It should not strike us as strange that unbelievers hate Christians. That shouldn't strike you as odd. But when that occurs, you need to remember, I must endure to the end. And you will be saying to yourself, probably, I hope, I can't see how I can do this in my own strength. Yeah, you cannot do it in your own strength. So you cry out to the Lord, Lord, I need you to hold on to me. And I need your grace to hold on to you that I will persevere even if all around me hate me as a Christian, hate the people in the church. Help me, Lord, to persevere. But thirdly, the death of a believer is a fresh and urgent summons to every Christian to live for Christ and not yourself in this present age. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains us, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, because we thus judge that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that they that live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him who for their sakes died and rose again. So brethren, we are to be thinking that my life here on earth is not to live for myself, but rather to live for Jesus Christ. And when you think in that way, it will have an effect upon many matters. Your planning, uh, your thinking, the way you live as an individual, as a husband, a wife, as a father, a mother, 
as a child, as a student, as a worker. Living for Christ is what we should be doing. Now, these three things that I've just said should be urged upon all of us as we live here on this earth in the light of the death of a believer. They're really woven together. We should war against our remaining sin, persevere in the faith, and we should live for Christ and not ourselves in this present evil age. Brethren, may God help us to be such Christians in this world. But now the death of a believer is a fresh and urgent summons to every unbeliever as well, to every non-Christian, to those who say, yeah, I know that stuff. I, I, I think it's true for my parents or my friends, but I'm not going to embrace it myself. To such an individual, the death of a Christian is a fresh and urgent summons to repent of your sins, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ now, and to trust in him now. You do not know what a day may bring forth. Turn to John chapter 4 and verse 25. I would ask every unbeliever that is here this morning to follow the example of the Samaritan woman whom Jesus spoke to at the well in Samaria. He said to her at one point, if you knew who it was that is speaking to you, you would ask of me for water and I would give you living water. And now in John 4, 25, the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah comes, he that is called Christ. When he has come, he will declare unto us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto you am he. What an absolutely wonderful statement. Try to put yourself at the well on that occasion. I mean, this is, it's really astonishingly simple, straightforward, refreshing. It's just really amazing. I that speak unto you am he. I am the Messiah. He made it very plain to that woman. And she did believe on him. So, dear unbelieving sinner here this morning, Jesus Christ says to you, he is the Messiah. And if you ask of him for living water, he will give it to you freely. Do not delay. Thinking of the death of Sentali Karunia, that was inevitable for her. Except for the return of Jesus Christ, it is inevitable for all of us. And you, dear unbeliever, need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you then can know these blessed realities now on earth that the Christian knows. And you can know and experience the blessed realities in heaven that we have spoken of this very morning from the word of God. Turn now to Revelation 22. And verse 17. These are words that I am declaring from the word of God to any unbelieving sinner here this morning. Revelation 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And he that hears, let him say, 
come. And he that is a thirst, let him come. He that will, let him take the water of life freely. What a blessed word, that little word, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let he that hears, let him say, come. Let him that is a thirst, let him come. And think of the Lord's words recorded in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, dear sinner, don't wait. Come to Jesus Christ now. And dear Christian, continue to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not need to sorrow as the world sorrows at the death of a believer. Yes, there will be sorrow. There will be tears. Death is an enemy. But we need to remember these biblical truths about death and what happens when a believer dies. We need to remember these biblical truths about the consummation of the ages. And therefore, we will not sorrow as the world sorrows. May God help us all. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take these biblical truths and impress them upon our minds and hearts and wills, that we, your people, would be transformed and sanctified by your truth, and that we indeed would think and speak biblically about these realities of the homegoing of a Christian saint. And Lord, we pray that you would use these truths also to help your people to persevere to the very end of their life, and that you would use these truths to bring unconverted lost sinners into the kingdom of God. We ask for these blessings and the work of your Holy Spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.